Fredology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Fraudology Podcast, where every week we will dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of a veteran fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. I've focused my life and career on online fraud prevention for over 15 years, working with hundreds of the most well-known e-commerce companies to help them prevent payment fraud and abuse. Well, as always, I love to bring on super smart people in the fraud fighting community, and today is no exception. I am excited to introduce to you guys Matt Vega. He recently was hired to head up the fraud strategy for Instacart, as well as the fraud strategy for BlueSnap. How he's going to do two full-time jobs, we'll see, but I know if anyone can do it, it's Matt. He has over 15 years of experience in digital anti-fraud spanning in e-commerce, government intelligence, and private contract work. His experience in this field is unique, and I've enjoyed getting to know him. So I'm grateful he's willing to talk about his career path and some of the big takeaways for our listeners. Matt, welcome to the Fraudology Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I don't know many other, I mean, I know a lot of fraud fighters in the community and I love getting to know new ones, but I don't know if I've ever clicked with anyone else in the way that you and I have. And that sounds weird. (laughs) Totally. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Well, it's nice to finally meet my match to say the least. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. No. So hopefully it's as interesting for everyone else to listen in on one of our many conversations that we've been having recently. Absolutely. Yeah. As I said, I mean, you really are big on fraud strategy as am I. And so we love to geek out on that. We have the same definition of fun. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 100%. And not to make a totally cheesy Instacart pun, but we also became like Insta friends. Absolutely. Hey, there we go. That's pretty good. I really wanted to bring you on here because you have unique experience. I actually don't know anyone else in the e-commerce anti-fraud community that's ever been in the government intelligence side. I have to say in the U.S. Obviously, you and I both know a lot of really incredible people like in Israel and other countries that have mandatory military time that worked in intelligence, but the U.S. is very different. So I want to talk to you about that as well as just in general. You recently accepted a position a few months ago to oversee fraud strategy for Instacart. and Then you also will be working with BlueSnap as well on their fraud strategy. So both of those are big jobs, especially in 2020. So again, don't know how you do it, especially (laughs) with how many times we've been on the phone over the last couple of weeks. (laughs) But you know, a lot of it's been work related. So I'd love to dive into the path that led you there. So I often say that most of us fell into online fraud fighting by accident. Was that the case for you too? 
It was a little bit. And I would say yes. So I started off as kind of in a retail environment as a kid in high school and kind of in my younger days. And the store, which was in the fitness space, converted to an e-commerce platform. And so they learned all about fraud within about 48 hours of going into the e-commerce world. And I was at the time, I was kind of a young kid and they thought I might know more about computers than they did because of that. And the owner is still a very close friend of mine. I talked to him very frequently. And so he kind of brought me in as like, hey, like I need you to fix my problem, have fun. And that's kind of how I fell in love with kind of the fraud and e-commerce world and really kind of learned from trial and error at that young age. And this was early 2000s. This was probably 2003 timeframe. So very early on in the industry is like e-commerce is really starting to kick off. And then obviously kind of built my way up throughout that company and kind of helped grow that operation and then transitioned into the military intelligence world. And that's where I really started honing my skills and getting kind of top tier level training, you know, obviously from the Department of Defense, U.S. Army, and then going into kind of NSA second level stuff. And that's really what kind of blew up and really took me to the next level and getting that top tier training. And then obviously, after that, I went into more of the just like you had said, the contracting world and did some fun stuff with different types of investigators and different types of top tier people and places and things to say the least that uh, can't go too far into depth in that, right. that world. But yeah, had a lot of fun there. And then I got picked up by a company called SOR Technology which is a, a rapid growth travel technology space. And basically when I started, they just had one or two fraud analysts and we built it to a multiple teams, international operation in multiple countries. We had a, one of the best in class operations and myself and Mark Garcheski, who's their chief product officer, basically you know, changed the game for the company. They got bought out. And then I was asked to get brought on by that company that bought them out to run their fraud program. And so then I ran two fraud programs at the same time, very similar to what you just described. And of course, the pandemic impacted a lot of these companies. And so when the pandemic hit, we really transitioned and I made the call to leave the travel technology space. And that's where I got picked up by Instacart and now BlueSnap to kind of lead the way in their fraud strategies and kind of lead them into the future for a best in class operation. Amazing. You just summed up like 15 years of so much. Five minutes. So we're going to go back a little bit. (laughs) I should probably just say BlueSnap is a payment technology company. They're PSP. I probably should have said that at the beginning. I've known who they are since they started, but not everyone else does. So I thought I should go back and explain that. I think everyone knows what Instacart is. Certainly after the pandemic, but for whatever it's worth, I was using them before it was cool. Great way to cut time, especially when you own your own business. And time is literally money. So why did you decide to go into the army, especially after really enjoying the e-commerce fraud stuff? Yeah. So at that point, especially this was a mom and pop. It was all the way till the end until they sold. And basically what I would say is you reach a point in your career as a young fraud manager where you're kind of capped out and there's not a lot of professional training in e-commerce fraud. And hopefully that'll change in the future. And there's only so much you can do without expertise or resources available to you or people like yourself without bringing in subject matter experts to help you kind of get to the next level. And so I started looking into, okay, what can I do to really change my career? And what can I do to take myself to the next level? And when you look at other industries, right? And so if I say I want to be a police officer, well, a lot of times that doesn't parallel very well to actually digital e-commerce transactions or or e-commerce fraud, right? It works great with like kind of traditional fraud accounting and some of that Mm -hmm. stuff, same with like FBI, you look at that. 
So I started looking into what could I actually transition really well into, and the intelligence community was the answer. There's different levels of intelligence, and there's different types of intelligence. I went into signals intelligence. So SIGINT is what basically the NSA does. That's their forte, to say the least. And basically, signals intelligence is anything with a digital signature. So it could be related to cyber. It could be digital network intelligence. It could be tracking cell phone signals. It could be doing GPS triangulation. It could be identifying true IPs. It could be getting into networks. There's all sorts of fun stuff that you can do within SIGIN, building target packages. A good signals intelligence analyst or a good signals intelligence operative can make a larger impact than even an entire unit in the military. Mm -hmm. So they're very powerful and they have a lot of tools and training. We work obviously very closely with the NSA with coming from the Army side. And really, that's what took me to the next level. Obviously, I, I went through the U.S. Army intelligence program and had a great time, obviously learned a lot of skills that directly correlate and I'm able to apply to the counter fraud industry. Mm. In order to have a best-in-class fraud operation, you need to have a best-in-class intelligence gathering system, mm. and you really need to stay one step ahead of the curve. And that's where gathering intelligence and understanding how to disseminate that intelligence and understanding how to utilize that intelligence can make such an impact in your operations and the success of the company. I couldn't agree more. But to be honest, I've never really thought that those two had anything to do with each other. So maybe I'm the only one, but I mean, because there's been former Secret Service and former FBI that have kind of come over into counter fraud, but usually they're working more on like the post-transaction intel and post-transaction investigations. I know from all of our geeking out that you really are thinking about top of funnel all the way down and how to reduce the fraud while also, you know, not impacting, you not putting any friction or really creating a bad customer experience. We are completely aligned in our kind of our philosophies and the technology that we think is good. So it makes sense. But I just think when you told me your background, I was like, huh, it feels like a left turn, but you make it seem like it's so much similar. Yeah. Um, I feel like maybe I should elaborate there because yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. How it's similar. Yeah. Number one, you have to go in knowing what you want to do. So I went in knowing that I'm probably going to stay in the e-commerce or digital space. I love catching crooks. It's one of my favorite things to do is catch monsters. <laughs> you know, you and I can spend 20 hours a day talking through this and we do. Um, so, you know, we, yeah. We, yeah, we nerd out for hours a day after Christmas. We're on the phone for hours talking about <laughs> So Yeah. I mean, we have very... like the most patient spouses. I think oh, we're totally. probably relieved that we're talking to each other and oh, talking to them about And so I went into the military knowing what I wanted to do. And so when I went into military intelligence in particular, and that's obviously what I signed up for, I knew that what I was going to be learning might not 100% apply to the counterfraud world. But what I went in with is how can I use this to better my career in counterfraud? How can I use these skills? What can I learn from this? What can I apply to the industry? And when you start looking, you're going to find a lot. And that's what ended up happening with me is I started getting into kind of, like I said, signals intelligence and kind of the how the intelligence collection and how at the federal level can apply. And it really crosses over extremely efficiently without going into too much details. But some of the other things that you always have to pay attention to is the federal government has a huge footprint in the fraud world. And people don't realize that. So you think of terrorist groups, you think of different types of extremist groups, networks, organized crime, they fund their operations through fraud. 
Right. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that. These IRS scams, these are organized crime. 100%. 100%. Yep. Yeah. So, the IRS, so you got the PVP, the unemployment. Yep. All of it. All of it. You know, it all funnels down to a particular group or individual. It could be an extremist group. It could be organized crime. It, it really just depends. So what I can say is that the federal government is very aware of where these things are funneling down to and where it's coming from. And they have very specialized units to do specialized things that can make an impact and obviously collect intelligence on who they need to collect intelligence on, especially in the international community. And that's really where it crosses over is being able to bring in those skills, really understanding how to think. And that's what the intelligence community teaches you, especially intelligence school, is it teaches you how to think. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily teach you a particular skill. So when you go through an intelligence program, it teaches you how to think like an intelligence analyst or think like an intelligence operative, depending on the, on the program in school. So in my particular case, like we did a lot of really interesting things using very old techniques from back in the day, from, you know, World War One and even previously. And we do things like Sudoku to warm up in the mornings. And, and <laughs> I, do, I, think. I, I'm, I'm, I, I never say it. it right either. So yeah, I wouldn't. yeah. <laughs> so the moral of the story is, is like, it really teaches you how to think. And that's the most important part of this that, you know, that, that I would say with from the intelligence community is they teach you how to very rapidly understand huge amounts of data and information and mm -hmm. be able to very quickly pull out what matters. When you're an analyst, you may come across thousands of lines of chat and there's only one sentence that you need out of that, right? That could potentially save a life. And that's how you really rapidly learn to basically utilize this data. And you can only imagine how that would apply to the fraud community. Well, yeah, I mean, it does apply in the fraud community, how many spreadsheets or SQL queries or whatever sure. have I looked at where sure. I can just look and go, yep, there's the fraud. I mean, you can train your yep. eyes and do that from my analyst times, but you also never lose that. You know, we've talked about just how much details matter in fraud fighting. And then sometimes it kind of bleeds over in other parts of our life that maybe details don't matter. <laughs> oh, totally. I mean, I find it so fascinating because... You are looking at some transaction fraud, but you're looking at it from a completely different angle. You're not looking at it from the e-commerce perspective. You don't have all the same information about the customer in the CRM and all that, but you have sure. enough. And I definitely already knew that terrorist groups and I mean, as well as human trafficking and other organizations, they definitely use stolen credit cards, especially in the travel space, which is why it makes oh, yeah. complete sense that you went there. I don't know how public knowledge is, and I'm definitely not going to say which one, but the terrorists for 9-11, they purchased their flights on an online website with stolen credit cards. And so it's not just travel. There's also a lot of money laundering that happens via e-commerce through these groups. Some are extremists, some are organized crime. But yeah, it makes sense. I've been in fraud for about as long as you, and I think right around the same time. And I never knew that the government even cared about fraud, cyber fraud, sure. online fraud. I don't think a lot of people do. So I think the obvious question to ask is why don't they play nicely with others? Like, why aren't sure. they wanting to collaborate? And I know that there's only so much you can say about this topic. Sure, sure, sure. I fortunately got kind of the unabridged version earlier, sure. but like, I can just hear people screaming <laughs> their oh. phone being like, so if they're over here doing this with operatives and in, in intelligence, why are they not coming to conferences? Why are they not talking to us? Why are they not picking up the phone and saying, hey, let's work together. Or let's make a case. Like, sure. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's a great question and it's a common question. So th there's multiple reasons. Number one, 
you are going to start seeing more units getting spun up. So I know, for example, the U.S. Army spun up a cyber unit. You're going to start seeing different types of cybercrime units starting to get spun up in areas where it normally wouldn't happen. And that's where already we started to see while I was in in, in the intelligence community. And, and obviously, especially with the recent hacks and what's happening at the federal oh, yeah. level, right? It is now becoming a true type of warfare. And when you get into military SIGINT in particular, my title actually was electronic warfare. So it's mm-hmm. actually a type of warfare. And so when you think of it this way, when you're doing international operations or you're looking into a particular network or you're, whether it could be related to Afghanistan or whatever it may be, wartime or not wartime in the time of peace, the federal government is a lot at the intelligence level. Number one, they're using techniques and tools that are highly classified. And so that does not transfer well to obviously mm. the civilian communities, including law enforcement communities. They have to have very strict access to that information. A perfect example of this was there could be information that a particular three-letter agency may have on a particular group. And let's just say the FBI says, hey, we want that information. There is many cases where they will say, you know, kick rocks. It's just you need to have very set standards and there's such high level of information and the classification is so high. So, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is they think top secret is the highest tier of classification. There's actually one higher. And that's SCI, secret compartmented information. And then, of course, there's caveats to that, like SIGINT, right, which is signals intelligence. There's human, human intelligence. There's counterintelligence. And so there's different echelons within the intelligence community, and you have to have special clearances to access that. So me as a SIGINT analyst, I wouldn't be able to access human intelligence unless I had a need to know. And so there are, unless of course, it was like related to the case that you were working on, too. Can you give me an example of what human intelligence would look like? Like what the difference between human intelligence and signal intelligence is? There's different types of of intelligence. And whether you join a military organization like the army, like I did and get into military intelligence, or you go directly with the federal government, right? Like NSA, CIA, FBI, there's different types of intelligence specialties. One of them is signals intelligence. So think of signals intelligence as anything with, you know, related to electronics, with cell phones, with communications intelligence. That really falls under the SIGINT classification. Human intelligence is really, and by the way, so SIGINT is really like, we'll call it NSA. NSA does all the SIGINT for the United States. They're the best of the best. They're the best in the world, I would say. The Israelis come pretty close to the NSA. It's a tough battle to say the least. <laughs> I have a lot of listeners in Israel, so you better be careful on that yeah, one. <laughs> now, the, Israelis are, the Israelis are the best of the best. They're absolutely amazing. I have nothing but great things to say about I know. Israel. <laughs> but in this particular case, the NSA is really the best of the best. And I will take that, that absolutely battle anyone on that. And then you start getting into, though, you start getting into some of the other agencies. So like the CIA is human intelligence. That's mm. human. So human intelligence Spies. is really... You got it. That's like what you see in the movies, right? There would be more CIA, Mm -hmm. right? So basically, that's gathering intelligence by speaking to a human being, right? Mm -hmm. Human intelligence. That could be from an interrogation. It could be from counterespionage. It could be from a counterintelligence operation. It could be converting a Russian spy. There's a lot of different operations that are happening. Today in the United States, there's more spies in the United States than there was at the height of the Cold War. There's a lot of activity happening within the intelligence community now and into the future. And then, of course, you have other types, like you have imagery, which is going to be satellite and image-based communication, whether it's from a plane, a spy plane, 
or some sort of satellite imagery. And that obviously there's different intelligence communities out there as well. Like for example, you have NGRO, you've got Department of the State, Department of Defense, Naval Intelligence, Air Force Intelligence, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, you've got Defense Intelligence Agency, which is DIA, and then you have the Central Security Service. And then of course you have ODIN, which is Office of the Director of National Intelligence. So there's a lot of categories out there and a lot of communities out there that people don't know about that are working very hard to keep the American population safe and the world population. A lot of people don't realize that these organizations operate in other countries right. with our NATO allies, right? We partner very closely with our NATO allies to make sure that we keep their population safe as well. Absolutely. I definitely think given those three, I think I would absolutely go into signal intelligence too. I just think because That's obviously it is. Directly. Yeah. It does. Yeah. But it applies in different ways, right? Because sure. I mean, when you're working for an e-commerce company and whether you're doing strategy or on the operations side, really the goal is to look at different details or different pieces to kind of guess the intent, right? Correct. And the intent of the purchase. And there's just so much volume that that's why strategy comes in to kind of sift through that volume so that you're just looking at kind of the gray area ones, right? Like if it's super risky, you say no. If it's really good, you say yes. But what about these ones in the middle? And then you kind of sift it down to be smaller. But when you're working in that environment, I mean, I know that you did a lot of counter fraud, but are you looking for intent or do you already have an idea of what someone is doing and you're looking for confirmation? It really depends on the mission itself. It depends on the unit that you're in. There are some units that specialize in intent, right? Like, is this a bad actor? Yes or no, right? And like, we need to determine it. And then you have the other side, which is usually falls more in the military is we say like, this is a bad actor, Mm. right? We need to find him, right? Like an extremist or right, right. You got a high value target and your job as a signals intelligence analyst, for example, is to track him down. So a perfect example of this is it was SIGINT that actually found Osama bin Laden. A lot of people don't realize that. And so there's, of course, it was a partnership with many, many agencies in order right. for that to happen. But really, that's why signals intelligence is so powerful, is that people just don't realize it, that everything has some sort of electronic emission, whether it's some sort of radiation output or whatever it may be, right? Electromagnetic field. And so everything in the world can be tracked if you know how to track it, right? Whether it's from Cell the phones, glasses that you're wearing, right. it doesn't matter what it is. You can track anything. And so learning how to track is really one of the best skills that you can take out of an intelligence program is obviously understanding from where a fraud network or where a fraud organization is selling this credit card data all the way up back through the top of the funnel. It gives you the ability to kind of stop these networks in their tracks very rapidly. It also gives you the ability to really learn on the back end on how they're operating and really what they're doing with that data. That's just as important. And I think that that's where, like, for example, Ellie over at at Q6 Cyber is so good is the fact that they really have an amazing intelligence collection ability. And that's really the future of the fraud industry, in my opinion, is it actually has to do with there's a lot of different things that are happening in the future, as you know, but the intelligence side is something that's been missing. And I think that that is a huge piece that people are forgetting about. And that's where I think Q6 is definitely kind of bridging that gap. So I, my gut feeling is, is we're going to start seeing a lot more of Ellie hanging out around with us. Uh, in the future. <laughs> well, it was such a good validation when I introduced you to him and you were like, holy cow, like this is really good because it's not just signals intelligence. Also, they have the human intelligence component, Absolutely. human intelligence component as well. And oh, yeah. 
really have a great way of not only collecting it, but transmitting it as well in a very usable format or digestible format. Like it was good validation to me that you agree with it because of your background. I mean, Oh yeah, they're, they're me out of the room. I'd be like, "Why did I start working with them?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bit some class operation. There, there's no doubt about it. 100. percent Yeah, and if anyone hasn't listened to that episode with Ellie, I highly recommend it, especially if Great. you're starting to see very weird new ATOs and you're curious what they are. And we'll be doing a future episode on that too because I am getting more and more emails about that, especially from Absolutely. companies with digital delivery. So yeah, so I just I find it so. Interesting. I just, you know, some of the stories you've said are just fascinating. And I guess one question I have is though, why are you the first person I'm meeting with US military intelligence experience that's now working on the e-commerce side? Like, why isn't it more common? Yeah. So I think there's a lot here. So number one, a lot of intelligence, and I can tell you all of my close friends that were in the intelligence community with me, I have a few friends in particular that I stay very close with. They're like basically family to me. And we went from basic training all the way through to our intelligence career Mm -hmm. and basically from intelligence school all the way up through. And most of them end up getting out and work as a defense contractor. So they stay within the intelligence community. The other thing is, is when you get that top secret, secret compartmented TSSCI, secret compartmented information security clearance, it's worth a lot. You know, they, it's about a half a million dollars per individual to get that security clearance. So it will basically expire if you're not using it. You have to use it. And so basically that's where a lot of people don't want to give up their security clearance to go back into the civilian sector. Right. So that's another key thing is that, for example, they can work for, you know, general dynamics. They can work for a lot of these defense contractors or they can work directly for the federal government. You know, that happens all the time as well. So, and the other thing is it's really good pay. So the intelligence community pays well. Mm. So you don't see it as often people transitioning from the intelligence community out. And then the other thing is, is it depends on really what you're going to use. So for example, you're going to be in hot water if you go from a human intelligence operation and then you're starting to use, for example, those exact skills and techniques and applying them to a civilian company. So there's a lot of, right, there's a lot of secrecy around the work that you do in the intelligence community. And it's incredibly important to make sure that they maintain secrets, right? That they're maintained as secrets and and in particular. So that's why I'm a big believer in in signals intelligence. and, And I believe that that is the by far the best segue into the counter fraud environment, especially in the digital sector, is because of the fact that so many skills can be applied to the counter fraud community without getting yourself in hot water by using classified information or classified techniques because they don't exactly cross over. They're different systems, they're different tools, but the skill sets are the same, right? But the techniques and what you learn and how you think is what really applies. And that's really what's kind of taken my career to the next level is being able to bring in some of these techniques and some of this training and the way that we think as an intelligence analyst and the way that we operate, it allows us to handle masses of amounts of data and information and make very clear, calculated decisions with that information. And when you're leading a fraud strategy, especially for rapid growth technology companies, or you're leading a strategy for an international operation like I have in my past, you really have to make the right decision when it matters most. Otherwise, you can end up losing huge money. 
you can end up really getting yourself in some hot water. Yep. And that's where coming from the intelligence community has really given me a leg up in the community, right? In the, in the fraud management community, because of the fact that I can make the right decision when it matters most. Yeah, it's interesting. I never have had any interest in being in the military, but when you talk about like the training and being trained on how to think and everything, I almost have a little bit of FOMO just because I'm like, that sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I just have to do a lot of OJD to kind of get there and working with a lot of companies to kind of, you know, learn that. But it is like a muscle that you really apply. And I think it's really important to apply in so many different ways. And once you've applied it in so many different ways, then you know the right questions to ask to kind of get a you good idea of what's going on and you don't have to take months to learn you're just like okay this 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 okay yep that's definitely what's been helpful to me as you know in my consulting career as well but yeah so i guess given the fact that the pay is good and that you had this high level security and and you were doing some really cool stuff why did you decide to leave was it just because your time was up no. So basically, number one, obviously, I got out with, the, you know, com- successfully completed my, you know, military contract, of course, and got out with a, a honorable, honorable, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. So you definitely can't stay in this industry unless you're doing something of that sort. And so what I can tell you is that I truly believe that the fraud industry and the digital fraud, especially card not present fraud, e-commerce fraud, there's such a hole in the industry today. And I think it's been there for a long time, as you and I have discussed. Mm -hmm. And really what you see is like, for example, today, if I was just like I was as a kid, if I want to enter the community, I really have to do on the job training and, and you get thrown in the fire. And I really said, okay, listen, like, I love this community. I love how small it is. I love that we all know each other. I love that it's a small network of people. And really, if you know, just like what you've done such a good job at is if you know how to leverage the community, you can really move mountains. And so that's what made me pivot and say, okay, I don't want to go into the defense contracting world. I want to go back into e-commerce. Number one, I, I already was in love with the industry to begin with, right? So I already had the passion. And then I knew going in that this is something I wanted to do and that this was basically I was going to use these skills and techniques and apply them to the the counter fraud world. And that has done me really well, obviously, and I've been successful because of it. And so I would say my biggest thing is, number one, is I knew that I could make a substantial impact in the counter fraud world by applying some of the techniques and, and strategies that I've learned and really teaching my teams how to operate and how to think of the large strategy, the entire funnel. It's not just about catching fraud at the bottom. It's the entire life cycle of fraud. And there's so many different access points that you can step in and actually make an impact or stop an exploit. And that's really what my teams are good. No, really. I'm very glad that you're here. It's just, (laughs) don't get me wrong. (laughs) And we really are aligned so much in our very strong beliefs that collaboration and education are really what's going to keep us even close to even having a chance at keeping up with the fraudsters and the community. So that is definitely something that we are aligned on in addition to just our overall geeking out over specific fraud strategies absolutely, (laughs) and new tools and technology and all that. You kind of touched on it a little bit as far as that there's a lot that you're applying from your experience during that time to now being in the civilian world and 
and working in e-commerce and card not present. But what are some things like when you started working with your new team or just when you're talking to other fraud fighters, what are just a couple of things that civilian digital fraud fighters could learn from your military experience, like either tactical or strategic? Yeah, I think there's a few things here. Number one, always think about the whole picture. Take a step back. A lot of our fraud management colleagues will get so focused on a particular fraud group or a particular Mm -hmm. fraudster and really start diving into like just account takeovers or just a particular exploit that they're getting hit with. And you really need to understand the entire life cycle of fraud in Mm -hmm. order before you can really make an impact. And a lot of times it's not as simple as just plugging a tool in and forgetting, right? Normally it's a multi-tiered approach and that's where intelligence is the key here, right? Having the intelligence and gathering the intelligence on what's happening allows you to make better educated decisions. So that's the biggest thing that I would say as a takeaway is understand what you're up against, right? If you're getting hit with a new type of ATO, like what the industry is talking about right now, and of course, I see it on a daily basis, so I'm very familiar with it. You really have to understand the whole picture. It might not just be people say it's a new type of uh, a new type of account takeover. It's a new type of attack. But really, we've seen this many times throughout our history in the fraud industry. Yeah. And then I know you and I are 100 percent aligned here is that this is not a new technique that they're utilizing. They're basically dusting off some old skills and understanding this entire life cycle of fraud is so important. The other thing that I would say is learn. Education is going to be the most important key win that you can have in your career, especially the the younger fraud managers out there. I can't tell you a weekend that I wasn't learning something. So read, study, pick people's brain, reach out to the community. I think there's going to be some exciting things in the near future that will help everyone, including myself. And I would say that really having that network and building that network early on in your career is going to be the best success. So a perfect example is that, you know, if I run into a particular fraud situation anytime throughout my career and I think they've got the best of me, well, guess what? Like, I'm just going to pick up the phone and call someone that I think is going to know more than me in a particular subject area. And they're going to tell me exactly what I need to do to solve the problem. And that's why the community that you bring in around you and you surround yourself in is so important. And I can't stress that enough. Like reach out to people that you normally don't talk to. Talk to people on LinkedIn, right? If someone that just seems like they're halfway aligned in the industry that you're in, pick their brain. You know, everyone is going to be open about what they're doing. People like talking about what themselves. They like talking about some of the things that they're doing. And and that's why it's so important as a young fraud fighter to really build that network and learn. And the more training you have, the more education. So like you're a perfect example of this. Literally, go get the regulation book and read it. You know, how many people, how many people out there actually read the regs? I don't know if everyone knows that I have those memorized. Oh yeah. So like, there's a reason why you're a subject matter expert because you have these things. You can be a world-class fraud fighter by just simply self-study. And that's what people don't realize. There's no such thing as the university of fraud. There's fraud programs out there, of course, but there's not in this industry. There's really, there's a lot of, right, exactly. Not yet. And so there's really not a lot of board certifications out there. You have like CFB, you have some of these other board certifications, but they don't apply to the digital e-commerce world. I was actually going to ask you about that because you have a lot of letters after your name. And I happen to know that you've even like pared it down quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And I get that question a lot as far as there are a lot of people in this industry that want to learn. I think that that's a huge part of being a fraud fighter is this eternal learning, like wanting to learn all the time. I I used the term on my previous podcast once that I want to be a learn it all versus a know it all. 
And I think that that just comes with being a fraud fighter and like that endless curiosity and wanting to continue to pull the threads and and learn and learn. And we all want to, I mean, most of us, it's a passion. It's not just a job. I think I've been pretty candid on the podcast in the past that this is an area that I have been working on, planning on providing some value in, in 2021. And I'm very excited that you and I are right on the same page with that. I feel like we went from like, know each other about one part of our lives. And now like everybody is kind of crossing <laughs> over, uh, that we care about, but it's awesome to have somebody else to bounce these off of. But so, you know, I would say like, obviously I'm hoping that something really awesome is coming, but in the meantime, are there any of those letters that you feel like apply to digital fraud more than others? Yeah, it's really tough. I have a lot of board certifications. And the reason why I have a lot of board certifications is because of the fact that I'm always learning. A lot of times I have a lot of board certifications. You have ASIS, so you know, you have different types of counter fraud organizations that will offer them. American Banking Association, there's a ton of different organizations that are really quality organizations that offer a great service. CFE is a great starting point. A certified fraud examiner is a great starting point, but just know that it's not a digital fraud finding solution. You're going to learn about traditional fraud. You're going to learn more about the accounting. You're going to learn about, we call them the old school PI fraud guys. That's really what it is. Which those people are necessary and needed. uh, And we, you and I both know and like a lot of them, but absolutely so different than digital fraud. So different. And that's what I could say is out of all the board certifications and training that I've taken, I don't think a single one of them directly applies to the e-commerce fraud industry. Again, like I use these different board certifications to gain knowledge. I use them because sometimes, hey, you know what? Maybe one of some of these old school guys, a perfect example is I got into about a 10 hour debate with someone on LinkedIn the other day. And he was an old school guy that's been in the fraud. He's a private investigator. He's been in the fraud industry for a long time doing accounting and banking fraud. And we got into a hot debate, which is always fun. It's one of my favorite pastimes, of course. And we keep it classy. Yeah. 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 And yeah, it's just, it's all, it's it's all fun. Yeah, it's, it's all fun. And really at the end of the day is like, when you step into a room, every single person in that room knows something that you don't. And it's incredibly important to always know that as a fraud manager and as a leader in the fraud industry is that I cannot tell you how many times that we've worked on a particular problem or a particular fraud group. And I've had some of the best minds in the world with me. I've brought in contractors and consultants, and we're talking very, very, very large money on the table here. And a analyst that I've hired and is their third day on the job solves the problem. So, uh, <laughs> yep. right. And so and it's the very best questions I ask. Yeah. The teams and stuff. And it's crazy how Absolutely. many times like clients of mine, the managers won't have asked their analysts. I mean, there was one time where we were trying to figure out why there were so many chargebacks in this one category for this marketplace. And I had dove into the data and all this other stuff. And then, you know, I had an onsite with them and we were talking about lots of things, but there was a quiet guy in the corner. And I just said, is there anything that you think that might be contributing to some of the issues that we've talked about today? And he just said, well, yeah, I mean, customer service never gives out actual refunds. They just give out store credit that expires in 30 days. Do you think that could be contributing? I'm like, oh my gosh, you just solved, like, why did I spend 10 hours in Tableau trying to figure out how, like, you know? So I completely agree with you. You're so right that it doesn't matter what level people are at. Like it's a puzzle, right? And everybody has a different piece, whether it's a specific problem or just broadly about fraud. I mean, how fascinating is it for all of us to kind of hear what other types of companies have and what they're seeing and what they're doing about it? Like 
I could listen to it all day long. <laughs> Absolutely. And, 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 and I think, yeah, totally. Yeah. You and I both, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the things that I always tell people, especially like even a younger analyst that's going in and getting into the fraud industry, you know, interview the manager. It's really important because on my team, every single person on my team is just as important as I am for the strategy and operation. So I cannot tell you in how many times throughout my career where a new analyst solves the problem or a new analyst saves the day. I have seen time and time again, these guys that call themselves the you know experts, they think that they are so good and they have so much knowledge that basically no one knows more than they do. And they're usually the first ones to fail. Normally- you, I've met those they, people. <laughs> oh, yeah. We both have on many occasions. And that's why it's so important to always know that there's always someone that knows something that you don't. Number one. Number two, the fraud industry is always evolving, whether it's getting more technologically advanced, which I think in some cases it could be. And then in some cases, it's falling back to old techniques. And we're starting to see some of these techniques being dusted off and being reapplied. And a perfect example is of like, I gave you the story with the F-22 Raptor. You look at some of these newest and greatest technology, you know, military technologies in the world and the way that some of these planes like, you know, this is all open source. The way that this plane was basically hack proof is using old technology to prevent it from happening. So using codes from the 1980s and 1990s to prevent it from being hacked because no one knows that language. And so you look at some of these cases, like in the fraud industry, it's so important to utilize all of the resources you have as a fraud man. Utilize your team. If you have a problem, include the lowest person in the team all the way up to the highest person when you make a decision. I guarantee you they know something that you don't. Also, boots on the ground will usually be able to see things before you do as a manager. Mm -hmm. So, right, when I step in as like a fraud strategy expert, and my job is to make the company a best-in-class operation, the first place I start is the fraud analyst. Right. And guess what? They're going to have just as big of an impact as the best managers in the company. I guarantee it. And so that's why it's so important to include the entire team. And you should also include chargeback analysts. If chargebacks are, are separated from the fraud team, like they are uh, in most companies, yeah. they're treated as their own team. Right. right. Uh, or it, they're it, a part of finance, which is a whole totally. other problem. <laughs> yeah. It's a disaster. But basically, really, you have to include them together. They should be able to communicate as one unit. The chargeback industry in particular and the chargeback analysts, they can provide such good intelligence and resources for a fraud team. It's a feedback yeah. loop. Like I it is a feedback loop. Never understand how they're just why they're disconnected and that's something and I a lot go of in and do they, a lot they, too. Right. And they don't communicate at all. And so that's why really where when when people say like, hey, you know, how do you create a best in class operation? Number one, it's building the communication, right? That whole feedback loop, everyone needs to be applying the same techniques. Everyone should be communicating what they're seeing from the bottom all the way up to the top. And treating different departments as like separate aliens is not the way to go. Separating chargeback team and putting them in finance is not the way to go. They should be attached to your fraud analysts at the hip. And when you talk about bringing in tools and solutions, there's really a lot out there that you can do. And that's where you really have to understand what the problem is that you're trying to solve before you just plug and play a solution. And not just right? today's problem, right? Not just today's problem. You got it. So you want to know, for example, is this tool or is this company that I'm bringing in to help me solve this problem? There's a lot out there. Are they going to be good for me five years, 10 years out? Are they going to be good for me in the next 12 months? And is this really solving my problem? Is putting machine learning here, is this really going to solve my problem? And in some cases, the answer is going to be no. 
In some cases, the answer is going to be yes. And that's where having a full understanding of the full life fraud life cycle could be so important. And it could help you integrate the right tools and the right skills where they're really needed. Absolutely. And I think you just touched on something that I kind of wanted to amplify a little bit is that there are also a lot of buzzwords being used on the technology Mm -hmm. side where there are companies that claim to have machine learning and and maybe they have a piece of it, but it's not real time and it doesn't refresh all the time. It's not dynamic. It's not learning all the time. So not just trusting the buzzwords, but really asking more questions and diving in and asking other merchants who use those tools if they're happy because they'll tell you. And I think it's also a really good lesson for the vendors that are out there too, is if you haven't been in this industry a long time, find out if the company that you're representing and that you're telling everyone is best in class is actually best in class. Because I don't ever want to be exclusionary, but there definitely are some companies, you know, I just listened to a podcast with the COO of Shopify and Harley is his first name. I'm not going to say his last name, right? But he was saying how the pandemic especially has really divided businesses and companies and people in general into two camps. There's the camp that are kind of waiting for everything to go back to normal and they don't really see this as a huge change. They think once there's a vaccine, once everything is fine, everything's going to go back to the way it was. And then there's the people that have adapted and really had to pivot. I think that's the word of 2020 pivot and change and adapt really quickly to customers' needs. And I mean, your employer is obviously really great at that and that, you know, happened to be right time, right place to have that option because a lot of people couldn't or didn't want to go to the grocery store during this time. But there are a lot of companies in every industry, including fraud technology that are just not, maybe it's not the pandemic, but there are a lot of big changes in fraud behavior from the fraudster side that have occurred in the last couple of years, especially the last year. I can think of refunding fraud going up and and becoming a huge thing and malware creating these new ATOs and just so many other things that you have to be able to adapt in quick and not every company is. And so I think knowing that and having that ability to discern, okay, am I listening to a bunch of BS or am is this a partner that we're going to be able to, that will continue to innovate as fraud continues, the adversary part starts to evolve. And I also agree with you in looking at it start to finish because too often people are looking at the trees and not the forest. And that's usually, that's usually when they bring me in or bring you in because I'm more on the consulting side, but you've got a full plate with, uh, you know, (laughs) couple jobs. That's why one full-time job is just too much. (laughs) Or, or not enough is what I meant to say. Right. One one full time right, job right. is just not enough. No, I'm totally with you. If I didn't have other family commitments, like this is what I would do 24 seven. And I, yeah, I love sometimes it. I yeah. do it. I mean, I ask my daughter. I'm on my phone a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Usually talking with people on LinkedIn or emailing clients or you know whatever, trying to figure out time management too. But that's oh. a good New Year's resolution for me that I know you're going to help me out on because you've done a great job at that. But yeah, I think looking at whether you're able to do it or whether working with someone else who's done it for multiple companies is so important to just have someone to look at, hey, do all these tools fit together? Are they the right mix? Are they giving us full coverage? You know, maybe there's one company that has multiple tools, but are they all the best ones? Like just knowing all that, I think is huge too. And it's interesting that even though you weren't looking at the transaction level or anything, that all of that experience really did. I mean, at least from my perspective, 
really gave you the tools you needed to apply to digital commerce. Very, I mean, you're, you and I are pretty much you know, <laughs> synergy at a yeah. similar level. I do think a few other things that I definitely want to touch on that yeah. you brought up with brilliant. One of the things that, like I was saying initially at the beginning is you learn how to think. And so what I say by that is also you learn how to see BS when it's there. And that's where it's really important. And so some of these things that you were talking about, like a lot of the fraud industry and fraud companies, counter fraud companies out there, they like to use buzzwords. They like to make the special sauce sound more special than it really is. And so I always tell people to really dig into the weeds and pay attention to what's happening. What kind of solution is it really? For example, if they tell you it's artificial intelligence, I would potentially say run for the hills. So I think that there's a time and place for that, but I don't think machine learning and artificial intelligence are two completely different things. And so it's very important to understand what these companies can provide. I think there is some absolutely fantastic companies out there. And I, I think there's... I don't think we could do our jobs without them. Like I, yeah, 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 Absolutely. But it is really important to make sure you're using the right tool at the right place at the right time. And that's... In the right know, way. In the right way, absolutely. And so I think that there's a combination of two things that people should learn from this. And number one is reach out to those companies. There is absolutely no reason why you can't become a subject matter expert on, for example, Riskify, even if you don't use them. I guarantee you, if you were to call Riskify on the phone, they would be more than happy to talk with you to share what their tools can do. Or if you called you know, any of them, the, the new Amazon products, right? They will get on the phone with you, I guarantee it, and happily explain to you what their products can do. And so I really recommend as a fraud manager in particular, or as supervisors, or even as an analyst, reach out to the industry, start talking to these companies, understand what they're doing different. And that's really what's important is everyone likes to claim they're doing something different. And in most cases, it's not true. And But there are those few companies out there that really are doing something different and really are leveraging some tools. And I know you and I in particular are 100% aligned on pretty much everything that we can talk about with fraud and we've spent <laughs> hours doing that. But, you know, at as the well end as of, like the specific technology companies that oh, we, yes. you know, love like and, it, like, and a little more critical of, yeah. Yeah, and that's where it's so important is a lot of that you have to learn through trial and error. A lot of that it takes many years, like both of us have experienced, to get to that level. But as a young manager, you should be reaching out to the community. You should be asking the questions. Reach out to me, reach out to yourself, and really ask these questions. Just like you had said, reach out to some of these companies. Hey, if you find out that company Z is using this particular solution, give them a call. I guarantee you, you get the fraud manager on the phone. They're going to be more than happy to tell you their two cents. Well, and and the other thing I would say, too, is just because you hear that another company is using them doesn't mean that they like them or, or that they are really using that company as well. Uh, 100%. I've seen it many times. I've seen entry slides at the beginning of a deck with 20 companies on there. And basically, they might be just pulling one data stream from that company. And they're saying that it's the full fraud solution. So you're absolutely right. And I also think uh, or really companies the best, get kind of stuck, you know, they can't re-implement a yep, core stuck tool in several times. Oh, yeah. So they've supplemented it with several other technologies, but yet the core tech, yeah, I mean, you just never know. Don't take anyone's word for it. And that's not a dig on any salespeople and their techniques. It's just trust, but verify. That's all we're saying, really. A hundred percent. And again, there's so many good. And if you have a great product as a vendor, like you've got nothing to worry about. Yeah, a hundred percent. And like, let your product speak for itself. Mm -hmm. And that's the other thing that I always say is, and I, I have friends, on, of course, on the other side, right? On the on the fraud vendor side yeah, that I work with all too. the time. 
I would definitely say that it's very important to let your product sell itself. You shouldn't need buzzwords. You shouldn't need all this fancy slides. Like, show me what the product can do. Show me what's different about the product. Show me how the solution. And guess what? I've seen products that are kind of old school, some pretty old school techniques that I've seen. And guess what? They're probably best in class. So it really depends on the problem you're trying to solve. Machine learning is not the answer for everything. By far from it, I think there's absolutely an incredibly important time and place for it, but it's not the answer for everything. And that's why I always, like we have talked about, I always take the hybrid approach. You should have some good rule engines in place. You should have potentially some machine learning in place. You need to have some guardrails. You need to have a decent team, at, at, you know, that's well trained or or that can actually really make an impact, and you know, without going too far into depth into the secret sauce. But really, always think about it. It's not one solution fits all. A lot of times, you know, in the, in the top tier companies, best in class operation, they will have multiple tools, multiple solutions. I brought in three vendors into particular companies at one time. So it might be account takeover prevention, it might be transaction fraud, and it might be chargebacks. And so there'll be multiple models running simultaneously and multiple rule engines running simultaneously to give you a 360 degree protection. And that's really what you need to be a best in class operation. I have a slide back when I would do keynotes in these things called conferences. <laughs> it feels like it's so long ago, but I have a slide that it's cheesy, but it's true. I, it's something like ogres have layers and so should fraud uh, from track. I do it more like not just to be cheesy, but because it sticks in people's heads and I'll hear people go, Oh yeah. Fraud's like an ogre, right? I'm like, yes. (laughs) Just like I have this whole thing about zombies and you know, all that, that really sticks in people's heads too. Like that's why I do it. Not just, but I couldn't agree more that you need to have layers and whether that's device ID and then verification with phone numbers or emails or whatever, like it's very custom to your company, the needs you have, as well as balancing the needs of the business. Some businesses care so much about growth and the number of new accounts, but they don't care as much about the dollars. And then others care way more about the dollars than they do the number of accounts and users. They all care about conversion, which is a very important metric and should always be balanced. You should never just be measuring your fraud team by chargebacks. You should be looking at it by all angles. I love what you said about 360 view. I think another thing that I've found to be super helpful is you know looking at kind of knowing ahead of time what the cause and effect is going to be. So if we put this layer in at this part of the funnel, this is what's going to happen to this metric or that metric. That's you know kind of why one of my former clients, I heard through the grapevine after I left that they started referring to me as the fraud psychic. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing. I mean, gosh, if I was a fraud psychic, I could really bottle that and turn it into yeah. a fraud yeah. technology yeah. company. Absolutely. But there are a lot of things that are predictable. And, you know, when you've been doing this long enough, you can know, okay, well, if you put this there, this is what's going to happen. But if you put it there, that's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, I would love to jump in on that. On on something that you said is something else that I would love to actually segue there is, is friction. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that you're really going to hear is in the fraud management, in the digital space that we're all in now, is really the amount of friction that fraud can apply to both growth It could apply to profitability. It depends on how you use it, right? So that's where some companies won't even touch two-factor authentication because it applies too much friction. So there's a lot of areas that you can apply friction very tactically to get the same effect without impacting a particular metric. So I'll give you a perfect example. So I was with a company previously that 
for example, the growth team said, under no circumstances can you put in a two-factor authentication challenge or a multi-factor authentication, regardless of the type, that is going to impact growth. So I went to the drawing board and I said, okay, fine. I found a way to put in two-factor authentication that impacted customer acquisition costs. So I said, I'm not impacting growth. I'm going to impact customer acquisition costs. And guess what? I was able to get it through and I made a substantial impact. So you can find other ways and you have to innovate in the fraud industry. So sometimes the growth team and the fraud teams have a tendency to butt heads and a lot of companies because obviously, and I don't blame them, growth is incredibly important for a company. It's why everyone has a job. But at the same time, having a very secure and stable growth is more important. Having 10,000 bots a day create accounts is not growth. Over quantity in our business, yeah. 100%. You know, clean up the stream and make it a very profitable company as well. And that's where, you know, if you have growth plus profitability, you're going to crush it. Especially if you go IPO, you're going to really make an impact. And that's where a good fraud manager and a good fraud team can make a company profitable. It's incredibly important. And so speak to other industry experts, speak to people like yourself and to other fraud managers out there, speak to people like Carice and other experts in the industry and learn where to apply that friction. Bring in the expertise. If you don't know it and you can't figure it out, that's exactly why fraudology exists, for example. You know, that's why, you know, Chartalytics exists is bring in the experts that know what they're doing. Let them take a look at your operation. Let them understand what's happening. And they're going to give you some pretty amazing feedback and potentially solve a multi-million dollar hole. And I think that a lot of, especially as you get higher up in the industry, people start worrying about looking like they don't know what they're doing. And that's one thing I've seen a lot is ego gets in the way in in a lot of places. (laughs) And it's so important to put your ego aside. You don't know everything. I don't care if you've been in the industry for 700 years, you don't know everything. I guarantee you, I can find you a 16-year-old kid that knows a lot more than you do about a particular cyber tactic or a particular exploit. And so always know that there's going to be someone out there that knows more about your particular problem than you do. Leverage it. If you leverage those people in your industry and you leverage those tools that are available, you're going to be a world-class fraud fighter. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, that's definitely something, I mean, I've been talking about this for the last, like, I don't know, seven, eight years of my career, but I think that's really the secret sauce of the fraud side on the adversary side is that they free flowing information and they all help each other. And for various reasons, that has been a challenge within our industry. With that, I'm just going to drop a little bit of an Easter egg, so to speak, that Matt's going to join me for a short segment on next week's podcast. And we're going to have a pretty exciting announcement on that note. We work fast and he inspires me to like do the thing that I've been thinking about for the last several months and helps me find a way to do it and vice versa. So we will have some very exciting information about that because that's definitely providing ways for fraud fighters to meet each other and talk is more critical now than ever because there aren't conferences. And that, I mean, it's just absolute magic. I will never get bored when I am facilitating either an in-person or a virtual merchant collaboration event. It's just magic. You know, hey, have you thought about this? What about that? Oh, da, da, da. And they could be completely different industries. And that's something I've been doing calls in other areas. Also, it helps leverage me in a better way too. So I'm not sure. the bottleneck. Because I want to help everyone, but the truth is like, it's just not possible. So yeah, but there are super smart people that know more than I do in some areas. So I love to connect other merchants to, you know, each other. And I consider that a win versus keeping anyone to myself. And it does come back to the ego thing and something I've 
said often because I think it's true. And I know you agree with me that anyone who says that they know everything in fraud means that they stopped learning a while ago. Years ago. Absolutely. And unfortunately, there are people who think that they're experts because they've had two years experience at one company. Like, it's not the case. There are some people that maybe that might be if it's like a really fast moving company or else, but you still need to get more of your sea leg. I've been in this almost as long as anyone else. I mean, there's a couple of people that have been in it a little longer than I am that I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure there's more, but I'm probably one of the main veterans and I learn something every day. That's why I love this industry. Absolutely. And the other thing I can tell you is I had someone recently that I was interviewing that you'll get a kick out of this. I actually haven't told you the story, (laughs) but this gentleman was basically claiming that he was the greatest fraud fighter that's ever walked the face of the earth. And I asked him, what makes you think that? And he goes, well, I've been doing it for 20 years. And I asked him, well, have you ever thought about that you've been doing it wrong for 20 years? And he was stunned. And people (laughs) don't realize that. And it's so important to know, like, just because you've been doing it a particular way and it's worked for 20 years doesn't mean it's going to work for another 20 years. And so that's where, you know, put your ego aside. Know that you're going to be wrong. Guess what? You're going to miss fraud. It is impossible to have a fraud-proof system. It doesn't exist. I don't care what vendor tells you that they can make it happen. It's just not true. Eventually, fraud is going to slip through the cracks. Eventually, you're going to approve a transaction that ends up being fraud or you get a charge back on. And so the key is putting your ego aside. Learn from that mistake, right? Learn from the mistakes that you're making. Learn from also your wins. If there's a particular technique that seems to work better, learn from that and see if you can apply it to other verticals. Mm -hmm. Definitely the biggest thing that I see in the fraud community today, especially in the senior leadership side, is that it's starting to trickle down to the point where they're saying that like they're subject matter experts, so they're not going to reach out and collaborate to other people that potentially like a young fraud manager. That's mm-hmm. someone we talked about earlier today, a young female that's mm-hmm. that's going to dominate the industry someday. Those are the people that I would say stay away from. They're not going to help your career. They're not going to help the industry. We should be collaborating. We should be communicating on a daily basis. I guarantee you the fraudsters that I'm fighting, you're fighting, fighting also. 100%. Uh, We're all fighting the same battle here. So we should be communicating, which is going to be a great segue to the beginning of next week's podcast. Absolutely. 100%. Well, at some point we had to wrap this up and you know, you and I have, we've referenced it already. I don't even know how many hours we spent on the phone, especially because we're working on several different things together. So we do a pretty good job of like, okay, this is about that. This is about this, you know, whatever. But I have, really enjoy getting to know you Likewise, in working together as well as on this podcast. And, you know, I always am a huge fan of anyone who has our goals are aligned. And I don't say that because, oh, you like the same things I do. No, it's that I know for a fact, and I've seen it work a million times. And so have you that the combination of education and collaboration is what is going to help all of us get ahead. 100%. Because like you said, when it comes to fraud, your competition is not a competitive company. Your competition is the fraudster. In every department of your company, the competition is your competition, but you're fighting a different battle. And so it is so important. I have seen it work a million times. I really need to start like writing down some of the crazy stories that I've seen, introductions that I've made or people I've seen like talk to each other and then like big things happen. It's magic. So absolutely, I really appreciate you coming on, taking time to share how the military brought you to e-commerce and and made you smarter, better, stronger for it. 
And I know for a fact that while this may be the first time that somebody's heard your name in this industry, it is definitely not the last. So <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks so much, Matt, for joining me tonight. Yeah, it's been, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to uh, working with you in the near future. Me too. And yeah, we'll talk on next week's episode a little bit too. And we've lots of fun. Thanks again. I appreciate it. Thanks. You too. Thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.